Good afternoon, everybody. So today, we have before us three experts in branded content, uh, <laughs> who work in the branded content space. And um, the practice of making a series based on a toy or book is not new, but arguably consumer products companies like toy companies and publishers are more active in the entertainment space than ever before. Um, big toy companies like Hasbro and Mattel, uh, who are here on the stage with us, along with um, other toy companies like Spin Master and Jack's Pacific, have really ramped up and formalized um, their entertainment divisions in recent years. Similarly, publishers like Random House Children's, Penguin, and Beano have followed suit. So these days, really, the question is not what comes first, the toy or the show, but more like what should come first in the development and launch of a 360-degree entertainment brand, the toy, the show, the webisode, the book, or the carefully seated viral camp influencer campaign. Many would contend that a commercially successful property needs to reach all of these, needs to go on all of these platforms and probably more. In brand planning, it's become something as involved as plotting a major military campaign. I'm sure your uh, brand launch schedules and calendars are insane, insane right? Um, that said, we're not here to discuss all aspects of branding in their entirety, but to focus on the one piece of the puzzle, uh, branded entertainment, and get a peek into the thinking of the people who have the power to greenlight it. And with us today are Finn Arson from Hasbro Studios, Christopher Keenan from Mattel Creations, and Chris Rose from Beano Studios. So to start, I think it would be really good to clarify what kind of commissioning it is that each of you do. For all three of you, I think your primary objective is really to mine the, the IP that your company already owns and, and figure out how to exploit it in, in various entertainment platforms. Um, but you're also looking for new content to bring in. So Finn and Christopher, yeah. um, when it comes to making shows based on Hasbro or Mattel's existing IP or upcoming toys, you commission and produce those internally pretty yeah. much, right? And you don't really look for outside production partners. I mean, you have service studios that you work with, but it's not really a producers you're looking to come in as co-producers. So could you yeah, explain so, that a bit more? So Sorry, yeah, so we, we kind of started the journey. I mean, you're obviously familiar with Hasbro, the toy company and Hasbro brands. But uh, so we started the journey in 2009, 10. We set up a studio in LA and it was kind of our first forage into actually saying, we're gonna make entertainment properties based on our existing IP. Um, which makes sense. So we have our vault, vault brands, as we call them, vault brands. I have this image of this massive, great big wheel that you turn and go into this vault. You don't have one in there? We, we actually don't, no, sorry. Um, so uh, we, we started with, obviously, our popular brands, My Little Pony, Transformers, and the whole idea was to kind of uh, reimagine those shows for a new audience. So we set up the studio in Los Angeles. It's kind of a virtual studio, to your point, Lana, because we don't actually produce anything there. So for the first few years, we basically took our five most successful properties, or what we thought was going to be successful, and we started the entertainment division. So we started the studio, um, and then we came on board, and we literally started doing development on those shows. What would these shows look like for a modern day uh, audience mm -hmm. across all genres, across all, all demographics? So we did My Little Pony, we did Transformers, yada yada, all, all those shows. Um, and then it's really important that you know what you're developing for the right audience, make sure that's going to work on a global level, making sure you're working to your point with the brand teams who are actually the, the brand teams for those brands and the uh, designers, the toy designers. Um, you need your digital marketing people there, you need my distribution team to make sure it's going to be a global thing. So yes, we were internally focused for the first few years 
uh, building up that division. And, and again, you know, if you think about it, Hasbro's been a toy company for like 50, 60 years. And we're literally at the start of the entertainment division. I think you're in the same position, Christopher. It's like, it's an amazing turnaround or becoming part of that ecosystem that's been firmly established for all those years to suddenly now have entertainment, creatives, you know, this part of the industry that we work in. So we're wholly focused on making sure that we've done what we said we'd do. I think we've done that uh, to an extent. You know, we've been fairly successful. Um, and now we're entering another chapter, but I think you want to talk about that later. So if that yes. makes sense, that's where we started with those five brands, made right. them, develop them, process them in-house, service studios all around the world for, for depending on what show, like Transformers we made with Polygon in Japan. It was a CG show. Uh, we worked with DHX in Canada with My Little Pony because it's a flash show and, you know, they do well. So um, that's where we were, and we'll come back to original commissioning later. Yes. So, so Christopher, it is also similar for you, but also just a little bit different in that you've got a fairly robust um, relationship with um, various online creators and uh, crowdsourcing talent um, yeah, operations we're... like Tongle. So maybe you want to talk a bit about sort of establishment of Mattel Creations and then... Sure. So um, not unlike Finn, um, Mattel, although Mattel has been participating in content production for a number of years with different properties and varying levels of success, um, it's really only been in the last couple of years, um, uh, about a year and a half now, that Mattel Creations was set up. For those of you who are in the morning session I was in, I had described it, but it's basically an umbrella entity within the Mattel family that includes the content arm, which is development and production, distribution arm, um, which is global sales and distribution on all platforms, the um, insights group, which looks at both consumer insights and market research, um, as well as our um, digital group, which is um, not just digital marketing, but also digital production. Um, and last but not least, our integrated marketing and, and media group. So all sitting under one umbrella, the new umbrella of Mattel Creations, um, is a new way of uh, moving forward with IP for Mattel. Um, but not unlike what Finn said, um, we initially were focused on what we call our core brands um, at Mattel. From an entertainment perspective, uh, those have been uh, Monster High and uh, Barbie, Thomas and Friends, Fisher Price, and American Girl. Um, for those of you who don't know, American Girl and Hit Entertainment are both part of the Mattel family. So there's lots of um, opportunities for content production there, not specifically based off toy, but off corporately owned IP. That's one category. The second is um, uh, not unlike the, the vault that um, Finn described. Um, Mattel being a, a long-standing company has a lot of IP in its, in its library and rights or ownership of a lot of different kinds of intellectual properties, um, products, characters, or, or programs. Um, so that's definitely sort of a secondary source for developing content. And then the third um, category is something I've been very, very uh, vocal about, which is bringing new properties into the company and new creators, new um, characters. Um, while, you know, I, I'm hoping Thomas will go on for another 70 years and that Barbie will live for another 50. There's no guarantees, so... Um, plastic work is good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, now that she has her new body, hopefully she'll last for another decade or two. <laughs> but um, the, I think the important thing is to remember that we are now moving away from being a plastics manufacturer and really being an experienced company, or as we like to say internally, um, we focus on play, not on toy. 
So um, that's why we've been very encouraging of, of new creators, new IP, new ideas coming into the company. And I'm really pleased to announce we're going to be producing Cubetto, the series, um, <laughs> as soon as we know. I'm teasing. I'm totally teasing. I'm just incredibly you just gave inspired. Him a heart yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm um, no, I was very inspired. But I look at something like that, and I think there's opportunity for new ideas and relationships at Mattel. So, Chris, um, you are in the midst of like a brand new studio. So do you want to talk about sort of what your priorities are right now? Yeah, sure. So setting um, up? obviously, I guess many of you in this room will be familiar with Bino. It's um, 80 years old next year. So there's, there's a rich heritage, especially in the UK. Bino Studios is a, a, a new venture. It was um, established uh, towards the end of last year. Um, we're responsible for the development and production of um, some of the classic characters that you will know and love, but also generating new characters. Um, so that could be new development internally, but we're also open to working with um, creators like yourselves um, externally who might be able to bring new characters to life on our digital platform, uh, which is Beano.com, and we have an app. Um, we, I think over the last 80 years, we've got to know kids really well. We do a lot of research. So we, we talk to kids all the time, and I think that's helped Beano's longevity throughout those decades. Um, so we've been able to reinvent ourselves, and really the kids of today know Beano through Beano.com and the app. Um, the, the comic is still very much integral to what we do, but really our three pushes a day through the, the video content and the, the material that we release are, are how we interact with our audience. What kind of holes are you looking to fill in your entertainment portfolio? <laughs> well, I'm what glad you asked me that, you? Lana. Yes, <laughs> I, you didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> um, so you can see from that reel, obviously, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some major brands in there, Transformers, My Little Pony, Littlest Pet Shop. Um, and then our junior show, Transformers Rescue Bots, which is kind of like the, the sort of, we call it the upper preschool version of Transformers um, uh, for a sort of entry-level audience. So... Um, and also there was a clip in there, I'm going to say it, that was Stretch Armstrong, I don't know if anyone knew that, but that's an original commission we had from Netflix, which is the first time we worked with them actually. So it's a Netflix original, um, and it's been a really interesting thing. It's an interesting thing of like, if you remember the Stretch Armstrong toy, I mean, that's what it was. It was the grinning, stretchy guy. And like from that and our internal conversations across the portfolio of all of the different divisions, we came up with an animated adventure show based very loosely on the concept of stretching. So, you know, to your point, Christopher, you, could, you can actually look in your vault, see some, some IP you have, and actually completely turn it on his head and make something completely new for, for a new audience. So that's all good. So what are we lacking, or what, where are our white spaces? Yes. Our, our white spaces are in actual preschool and upper preschool. We are, our preschool division, uh, in terms of our merchandising division, is PlaySchool, you know, mm -hmm. the PlaySchool brand. Um, so... That is something that we need to develop. I mean, um, as you alluded to on STEM learning and sort of the importance of early learning and getting, you know, kids engaged and aspiring to all the great things you're working on. Um, I think you need to, we need to focus on that. So I think, you know, preschool and upper preschool is something that we haven't been doing. It's not traditionally what we do in terms of mm -hmm. entertainment. We did, um, we, really did com we did commission Moon and Me from Andrew and Bestport as, as Master Toy. So we are on as the Master Toy partner, and that will go into our play school range. So definitely one area there. And the second area, I guess, is um, it's kind of that gender-neutral... I mean, careful with my words here on purpose. Gender-neutral, gender-inclusive adventure show. What we don't want, is what you're going to ask me next, is we don't need any more action-adventure shows. You know, we're kind of... 
we kind of have that in our in our in our branding. But so I'd say yeah, upper preschool, preschool, and and uh, ad adventure okay. for an older audience. And how would someone get an idea to you? What's the best route? To Just it? send it to me and come and talk to me. Um, Just you. <laughs> yeah, who else is there? No. Um, so, so the process we work is like, because, because uh, we run sort of like the global distribution development team, we are the kind of first port of call because my team are out there. They're not only selling, but they're also looking at what the zeitgeist is in the marketplace and they're kind of boots on the ground. So the entry level is our development team in LA, of which I'm part of, and then kind of us. So if it comes through me, the, the process goes, our development team, our senior management team, and obviously, you know, it's not easy. Um, you know, we're making no bones about that. It's not easy to get through that because you have obviously brand, you have digital marketing, we have, uh, you know, ourselves as development distribution. It's got to work across all level merchandise. Um, so it really has to be a standout idea that really has legs and really has commercial value, as well as being obviously full of heart and soul, character story, all the great things that we all by now know about. Okay. Make sense? Totally. And uh, Christopher? What our overall approach to content is, which is very much a you know, sort of 360 degree approach so that we're really creating experiences for a lot of different platforms um, and different categories of product and play. Um, it, but that said, it doesn't mean that it, any property needs to tick all boxes, because I do believe very strongly that not every property or every story needs to be told on every platform. Um, so we may launch something with a short form series um, on digital, or maybe it's just a publishing series through American Girl, for example. Um, that um, doesn't necessarily need to be made into a feature film. Just because something doesn't tick every box in the 360 degree wheel doesn't mean it's not of interest or that we, or not of value. Um, so in terms of the, the things we're looking for, um, we, we see a lot of, well, let me say what we're not looking for. We see a lot of pitches that are very much rooted in toy that you know, here is an animated or live action showcase for all these products. And that's probably of the least interest. Um, I know that the, the thinking behind many of these pitches is, well, you're a toy company. Um, and, but it, it's a bit of a misnomer because what we're really looking for are properties that will lend themselves to a particular play pattern or play experience, and that we can then realize that through toy and other product. Um, but really what we're looking for is, not unlike what Finn said, strong characters, strong stories. And, and I almost stop there because um, if it's a strong character with a multitude of stories to tell, it can withstand the test of time. It can lend itself to application in these different areas. Um, more and more we're seeing a lot of trends where even the demographics are blending. So, you know, I love that, you know, when I started in the business, there was no such thing as transitional. The four to seven-year-old category didn't exist. You know, it was preschool, kids, teen. Now there's tweens and transitional. And as they start to blend, I think we're looking not specifically for a preschool show or a kids show or a tween show, but really looking for strong, iconic characters that are gonna resonate for an audience that's very different than the audience that we were growing up. Um, so I, I'd say the door isn't closed on any particular genre, per se, um, or, or demographic, um, but the door is semi-closed on stuff that's just riddled with a lot of product. Right, so you don't wanna see a pitch populated by stuffed animals. <laughs> well, we don't do plush, but plastic, yes, no. Um, no, truly, it, 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 you, you, well, you wouldn't be surprised. The number of times 
people can barely get through the pitch with me where before they say, and here are all the toys. Yeah. And okay. I'm not, I personally am not responsible for the making of the toys. We have enormously talented people who do that. It's really about um, creating worlds, universes, characters that kids are gonna wanna spend time with. And um, when they wanna spend time with those characters, hopefully there's lots of different ways to extend that experience by creating toys that can help Great. them play out additional stories. Can I yes. just add something yeah. to that? Sorry, that's, exactly, that's a really good point, actually, Christopher, because it's the same thing. I think when, when we're sitting down, people kind of feel they come with a pitch and they go, yeah, yeah, here, but here's the merchandise. Yes. And you go, I, I know a bit about toy, but as you say, there's experts in our company. So it really is about the character, the story. Has it got legs? Can you do this on multi-format, multi-platform, multi-iterations? And then let's do the merchandise and whatever that iteration looks like in the future. Yes. And I know that sounds like we're, we're crazy, but it's really true. Well, and that's the step change that we're making, and I think you're making too. Yeah, and it, I had a great experience last year when there was a property that Phil Malloy, who handles development out of the London office, um, had found. We developed it together with uh, external partners, with an original creator from Nutley, New Jersey, a producer from LA, a studio in India, and as we're developing it, the entire time, we're thinking, God, the toy team is going to kill us. There is nothing here <laughs> for toy. Um, it doesn't fit any, you know, of the, it doesn't tick any box whatsoever. It's a girl property. Um, it's, it's not white. There's no vehicles. There's no, you know, I mean, like, and we showed it to them saying, almost apologizing, saying, we love this so much. And as we showed it to them, they lit up and they were like, oh, Think of what we can do with the playset and the dollhouse and the this and the that and the that. And they went on and on and on with all these possibilities that I hadn't envisioned because that wasn't what the show was about. But they could see ways to extend the experience and product. And to me, that's the ideal way this should work. Right. You know, you should let the storytellers tell stories and have the product designers design product. And so, how should someone pitch you or get you? Call Phil Malloy. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> No, um, anyone is certainly welcome to contact me directly. It's Christopher.Keenan at Mattel.com. Um, but we do have a development team based in Los Angeles. We also have people in New York and um, a team in London. So plenty of access. I will say, if anyone is submitting to Mattel, you do have to go through um, either a, um, a licensed agent or entertainment attorney or sign our submission agreement. And the submission agreement is a major document and it is inflexible. However, I can tell you in the time I've been there or when I was at another place at Warner Brothers, um, it really does protect both parties both ways. And if you want to submit, you have to sign it. That's just the reality of the business. Mm -hmm. um, we spend a lot of time going back and forth with people who keep wanting to change it and it's just not going to change. So I just say that up front. Okay, great. So Chris, um, going to be the same sort of set of questions so people can get to know what you're looking for and uh, how you would like to work with people? Um, I guess we, my job as head of development and production is to kind of open that treasure chest of characters that we have. We've got over two and a half thousand characters from the decades wow. gone by. Um, so we're currently in development on, a, on kind of the my favorites from when I was a kid, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, there have to be some perks to the job, so I get to pick which characters we're going to move on onto long-form narrative with. So we're doing that, and it's quite exciting because we're moving into different genres. We're not just doing animation. That is obviously a big part of what we're doing, um, especially with the new Dennis and Nasher series, but we're going to move into 
live action drama, comedy drama. We've got um, some theatre work in development as well. In terms of the um, digital website, we we're basically we, we want to be on every possible touch point for kids. Um, our core audience is six to twelve. So we're obviously not a toy company, so we're kind of the fraudster on this stage here. <laughs> um, but we we have but to you figure have out how to. Consumer products ambitions. There, you, there are obviously consumer products ambitions, um, especially, and I think in this day and age with broadcast fees diminishing, you you have to factor that into. Um, your budget and your finance plan when you're you're putting these finances together because it is just impossible to make television now based on broadcast fees alone. So um, I, we do actually work very closely with um, with my colleagues across all areas of the business. Um, so we are thinking about you know commercial products and licensing and harking back to my hit days um, about play patterns and and how we feed that into uh, the narratives that we're developing. Um, so there's that aspect, but also we talk to kids all the time. Um, you'll have seen on the clip there that, we, that there's a section called Trend Spotters. Um, we have a research team that regularly talk to our trend spotting panel, and we're quite fortunate because they're able to um, you know, talk to us about trends. So you know, we were on the case with fidget spinners before it really exploded. And Slime, we were there, we were doing videos, we were getting them on, on Beano.com and, and YouTube and the app. Um, so we, we, I guess our... Our sensibility is topical, we are topical, and we're able to react. Um, what we're looking for in terms of character, I guess we're not looking for menaces or minxes or dodgers. Um, we've got those, but we are looking for characters that will resonate, um, certainly with our audience of 6 to 12, but if you think about the, the Beano's longevity, it's worked with parents and grandparents. There's a great affinity for Beano characters um, with grandparents and, and parents. Uh, the Beano annual is one of the, it's the best-selling annual every Christmas, to be perfectly honest. And the character, the comic itself is still one of the most loved comics in the UK. So, so there's great affection for our characters. If you have, um, if you come up with a character that you think has Beano awesomeness, um, and it's so Beano, then by all means get in touch with us. You can send it in to me, if you like, um, or anyone from the development team. Um, it's chris.rose at beano.com. Okay. And actually, Chris just said something that I think um, is an excellent point, which is when you talked about the, the Beano archives, and so, that there is an element of subjectivity to this. So, and you sort of joke that um, you pick your favorites, and those are the ones you're going to develop. But I think that's really crucial, because especially when you're looking at new properties, one of the things that we look for is other the pictures passion and, and excitement about that character. It's not so much about looking, what is it that we need, and so you're gonna pull something out of your arsenal to pitch to us. It's what's the thing that you just have to make, the story you have to tell. That's what we're looking for, is that excitement and passion. Because um, that's the ones that we're gonna respond to best. Great. Um, so uh, we actually have a great example of an original independent idea that was recently transformed into a toy and entertainment brand for Hasbro. So Finn's gonna tell us more about um, this. It's a brand new girl skewing property called Hanazuki, if you haven't heard of it. I first saw this concept pitched at Cinekid, uh, the Cinekid Film Ooh. Festival in Amsterdam in 2010. So it's been a while. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd like to get Finn to tell us how you know Hasbro took it from the germ of an idea and turned it into a brand that 
you know, is traveling globally. Sure. So do you want to roll the clip now? Um, I'll, I'll talk briefly before, then we'll roll the clip okay. and I'll, I'll come back for more. Sure. Um, so you saw it in 2010. So actually, this was created by uh, two Dutch, uh, Dutch artists called Nico uh, Stumpo, Dutch guy, and his partner Hanneke, and they created it in 2005. Okay. It only takes 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it started in 2005, and they're, like, they're, they're art directors, and they're in Amsterdam. And um, they started the Hanazuki Toy Company, and they were actually going to create this as a brand. They had like an image of Hanazuki, not unlike how she's turned out today, which is good. Um, but first of all, it was a, a, a toy and an art directive, and they're kind of like a character-based corporate art house. Really creative, really funky. Yeah, so super graphic. Super it graphic. Yeah, it was a graphic look. So from 2005 to 2010, they played around with that. Um, then we got attention from it. We really liked the look and the style of it, and we were looking for something. Our brand teams were looking for something that was a lifestyle brand at the time. So it was like a lifestyle brand. So by 2010, I think when you saw it, it was kind of it looked like a cool graphic thing you'd have on a T-shirt. Um, so the brand team kind of came to us once we'd started the studio and said, "Look, we've got this." thing, we're going to buy it. So we actually, we actually uh, bought the Hanazuki brand off them, and they were still collaborative with us, really important. So they were part of the, uh, the team. And it kind of evolved into this lifestyle clothing brand. We went down that route. We were like, eh. You know, it doesn't, it just, it would be such a shame if this character just became an icon on a T-shirt. And it was going really indie. It was going like a little bit sort of goth at one point, <laughs> which was quite good. Um, and then we sat around as, as development and distribution. We said, look, there's really something in this character. There's something really that resonates with her. And she's not only is she an iconic brand to look at, but let's create the world of Hanazuki. Um, I mean, I won't bore you with the iterations we went through, but basically we gave her a voice and a point of view. Um, and that voice and the point of view is that she is uh, the equivalent of a 12-year-old Earth girl, um, but she's not from our world. Um, and the kind of message of the show, and I'll talk more when we've seen the clip, is it's all about being yourself, being authentic, and it's okay to be moody. I'll stop there. Roll the clip. So, so that's probably totally confused you. Okay, here's the basic story. Bear with me. Um, so Hanazuki is a moonflower, and her job in the galaxy is to protect her moon. Um, and there are lots of different moons in this universe, and everyone lives on a different moon, and they all have to protect their moon from the big bad. And the big bad is this black cloud. It sounds really dark, doesn't it, Chris? <laughs> um, is this, uh, this dark cloud that comes to attack your moon and sort of take it over so that nothing grows. So Hanazuki <coughs> is kind of born into this moon, and she has to figure out what her role in the universe is, and she realises that her role is to protect her moon, and there are other people that live on other moons. Those characters you saw are called the Hempkas, and the Hempkas represent her different moods. So um, you see the little uh, hoodie pyjama character? That's called Little Dreamer. And Little Dreamer will come along and deliver a treasure to Hanazuki, and she has to figure out what to do with this treasure. And through various adventures and various moods uh, and the various sort of uh, exploits and, and things that happen, there will be something that plants in the ground. So you'll have, uh, if she's angry because the Hempkas are mucking around and they're not doing what they're told, Red Hempka will sort of drop a treasure and then the, the treasure tree will grow. And that will be, if you grow treasure trees, you keep the big bad at bay. So it's like kind of uh, warding off um, global warming. Um, <laughs> so if you look at that, I mean, it's pretty damn mad. And conceptually, it's like really high concept. But the fact that we're doing a show like this was to your point, Christopher. And I think what we're saying today is 
that was just a really great idea. And we saw the potential in that for lifestyle branding, consumer products, you know, maybe. But it all started with this story of Hanazuki on her moon, cute Hemkers. There's lots of really interesting characters. So there was no immediate toy. There was absolutely no talk of anything to do with toy. And in yeah. fact, we pushed it out. You know, the, the, the brand team, bless them, were like, right, well, we're going to do this plush. And then we're like, no, you're not. Um, so we started from story, and it's a really important message that we're giving out. So we started from her as the character. It's grown from there. Obviously now we do have a plush line from the Hemkers, and we do have the treasures, and there's a collapse, there's wearable tech. Um, but it's like, it was, I hate to say gender imbalancing, but it, obviously it's, it's focused on girls. I mean, you can't really get away from that. Uh, we, you know, we are gender inclusive of everything we do, but there's this wearable tech and you can collect the little Hemker treasures and if you put them into your watch it will um, decide what your mood is. <laughs> so it's all about empowering girls, it's okay to be moody, it's okay to be happy one day, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to feel really feisty, it's okay to be brave. So we've got that kind of, um, that spirit in the show, um, but it is a way to kind of like get kids to interact with that and kind right, of collect right. so the like things. It's like a high tech so mood ring. It's almost. a high tech mood ring, there you go. If everybody, so, anybody remembers mood rings. Or so we, we've been on a big journey with that. I mean, we did, we did place a lot of different bets on this. It was almost like, you know, how many bets are we going to place? Not as many as Joey Barton, obviously. But, um, you know, we, we definitely kind of took that whole range of what really is the essence of Hanazuki. So we also took another step to we launched it on YouTube. Heavens above. So we sort of thought that there was a core audience there that was kind of, uh, you know, obviously using YouTube more, there's a huge prevalence of YouTube. And we just took a bold step and said, you know what? We're going to seed this in. It's not a massive program. It's not a massive master toy license. It's not stocking the shelves of Walmart with, with Transformers. So Great. we just thought, let's take a different approach for that as well. So we launched the first, um, we did nine 11 minutes. We did three sets of nine 11 minutes, and we launched them all on the first moons of every month. It was quite cute. Um, so they're up on YouTube now, so you can go and watch them all and, uh, and find out what happens to Hanazuki and her friends on her Moonflower. Um, and then we're looking at season two. We've commissioned season two, and we're kind of just gathering all of the intel and the data and looking at who's watching and when. And, uh, and the merchandise is coming in, I think, August, which is another significant factor, because normally we'd go straight out there. But we've let this ride from February, January, February and we're kind of introducing merch in, uh, in August. Right, right, so it's so sort it's, of a very select... Yeah, it's been a really interesting thing to do, and I, as I say, I think it's surprising for us to do something like that, so I think it's really encouraging, it's good. No, it's I, was, I was surprised when I saw it on the yeah. Hasbro booth at Licensing Show in 2016, 15, I can't remember yeah. which one, but uh, yeah, because to date, you really hadn't done anything that was quite so... Different, different or out there. Or out there, yeah. And, and, and the 12 years was kind of a joke. Obviously, everyone knows that, you know, brands take a long time to develop. When we actually got our hands on it in 2012, we took those three or four years to decide what it was. When we actually got going, it was two and a half years in development to production. So, right. There you go. Okay. That's Hanazuki. Great. And um, Christopher, you've said that Mattel Creations doesn't yet have a, a similar example of an indie that you've picked up and, and moved into the um, brand space. But um, maybe you can walk us through how you've built one of your own brands through entertainment, and I think uh, we're going to look at the Enchantables. So, uh, do you want to talk a bit about that first, and then yeah, show let the... me just set up the the okay. what you're going to see. So, to Lana's point, we um, because of of confidentiality, I couldn't bring some of the development I wanted to share because it is all original development from creators outside of um, the toy space. Um, but this was an example of a very traditional trajectory in that. 
Um, this was a product line that was developed by our girls' toy team, um, and they are divided by boys and girls within the toy box because of the way retail partners are set up and the aisles for toys. Um, but this was very specifically um, a response to looking for what would be the next equivalent to a Monster High or an Ever After High, which would be a whole sort of world for girls to um, explore and a multitude of characters to get to know. And there was a bunch of different ideas batted around, but this was one that rose to the top that was internally generated and there was no content planned whatsoever. And I want to run what is now the commercial, but at the time when I saw it, it was just some product prototypes. And then I want to explain sort of where we went from there. So this is just the product itself. This is a commercial that's about to launch. So Enchantimals um, were these dolls that were created to be half animal, half girl that lived in an enchanted forest. They live with their animal, what we were calling beastie besties, their little animal so this friends. this is similarly trippy. Um, yes, it's <laughs> well, they, well, actually, Hanazuki makes this look really sane. So, um, um, but what was interesting about this is working at Mattel or any of the other larger toy companies, generally what happens is the brand or toy groups come to the content groups and say, we're launching this, we need content to support it, what can you do? And in this case, they weren't asking that at all. They were just weird. They were going through their product line, and we, the content group, saw this, and we're like, oh my gosh, we could so bring these characters to life. There's so many stories to tell with them. I mean, we started riffing on what we were seeing in the product um, in a way that they hadn't really anticipated from the toy group. So um, we sort of volunteered to do content, and are in production now on a 60-minute special and in talks about developing further developing a series um, because it was this opportunity to bring female characters to life in a way we hadn't seen before um, where they were going to be embodying these sort of animal attributes um, you know whether it was stealth in the forest or you know an incredible sense of smell or whatever it may have been depending on the animal they were paired with but it was also a great opportunity to do comedy for girls by imbuing their animal besties with whatever the girls' personalities were. So it just seemed like a really, really ripe opportunity to do something for girls that wasn't fashion-based, that wasn't jewelry-based, that it was literally about the relationships within um, the community there and with their animal best friend, all rooted around this notion of compassion and empathy and caring for all living things. So, this, what I'm gonna show you is just a very quick sort of sizzle that we used as we were in production just to give you a glimpse of the style which um, we're using Flash and doing it with uh, Kickstart out of Vancouver. Christopher, I hate to cut this a bit short, yep. but we're, um, this is going much more quickly than I had realized, <laughs> and I'm sure all of you too. Um, I just wanted to sort of skip ahead um, to sort of look at you know, how you're sort of working with the independent community. Um, you know, what state, at what stage do you want to see an idea? Does there have to be like a Bible, an animatic? Uh, could it be a sketch or a one-liner? And say you did pick, like I had a show idea and you picked it up. Um, what kind of deal models do you look at? Do you look at full ownership or and buy out the creator or are co-productions a possibility? Um, how does that work for all of you, who wants to go first? Um, well, I, uh, we haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm very excited um, about the opportunity to do it. Um, I guess have a look at Beano.com, look at the kind of content that is being produced. If you think you can 
do something with some of our existing characters, get in touch. There might be an opportunity there if you've got similar, if you're a company and you have similar brand values to, to our own, then you know, maybe there's something that we can do to collaborate there. Um, if, you, if you think there's a mashup or something of some of our existing characters, we'd be open to doing something like that. But similarly, if you think, oh, I've got an idea for a new tune, I think it'd look great um, on TV, it has been of values, it would then resonate well with the, the comic publication, then absolutely we'd, we're open to listening to you. But I think come in early with that idea, rather than do lots of work, it's quite expensive to do all that work. And, and get rejected or not. Um, but if you, if you did pick it up, like, do you, do you look at co-ownership? Do you? I guess that's to be explored. We haven't. Okay. I haven't gone down for that avenue yet. Um, we'd probably option it in the first instance and do a, a development deal, and then I'd have to discuss further. Of course, um, Christopher. Um, similarly, I, I think we would want to see things as early as possible. Um, I, there's no right answer to that. I guess whatever stage you feel it um, makes the most sense to communicate your idea most effectively. Um, again, earlier tends to be better because we'll, that's why they call it development. We'll probably shape it together. Um, as far as as far as like business relationships or arrangements go, um, there isn't really a set template for the way Mattel does deals with creators. It, it varies creator to creator based on a multitude of different variables. Um, but the goal, at least from the content standpoint, is always to continue to work with the creator. We do negotiate property rights separate from services. So almost every creator I know comes in and wants to make a deal that's to attach me as you know the producer, attach me as the creator. And that's just not something we're going to do when we're negotiating the actual intellectual property rights. But concurrently, we can do a separate services agreement for development or production. Um, but generally, it, we want to work with the person. The project can change shape. Um, but the person is what we're investing in. Finn? Exactly. Thanks. What he said. <laughs> yeah, what he said. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, early, early as possible, some kind of fleshed out concept character you know what you know you want to know where you're going with the what, what, what the show is in your head it's about you guys as the creators exactly uh, and then we'll shape it and do developments so same as very similar to what Christopher said um, in terms of how we work um, we will attach the creator um, to the project for sure you know in terms of how we work with them they'll get a percentage of you know Right. The spoils, shall we say. Um, but, you know, tr traditionally Hasbro has been a 100% ownership of IP thing, and it's, it gets challenging. You know, we all know that. So, so we should just be clear, Mattel deals are much better than Hasbro deals. <laughs> yeah. in case yeah. there's He's really awkward after <laughs> six of... No, joking. We're great mates, actually. It's quite funny. It's good. Um, the deals are... You know, it's difficult to put a deal together. We're not going to. We're, we're going to lie. But if you've if you've got if you've got um, a really great property, then we will entertain you and we'll make sure the creator comes along for the show. Like the guys in the Hanazuki model. You know, they're still part of it. Right. You know, they sold the company to us, but they're still with us. Right. Which right. is great. We're still actively involved. Yeah, they're still actively involved, like. which is yeah. important. So okay. then you're getting into deal points and percentages and, and, yeah. and you know. I don't expect everybody to divulge. I'm not telling you what it is, but yeah. you know, there's, the there's all that business, that good business stuff to come. Great, the red light is flashing. Oh, so God. I think maybe we have time for one question. Or are you going to yank me off now? <laughs> to, is there a question? Any, anyone? Oh, there's a question right up front. Filippo. Uh, so, um, I could just be really loud. <laughs> 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 you better the enemy. So I loved 
Thank you. Hi. So um, I had um, I met Ben Gray at DC Thompson uh, when back in 2013, and I had some really interesting conversations in your beautiful office in Fleet Street. Um, that was really early when our creation was a, a mess of wires. But um, how do you? You're all very big companies. Like, how quickly do you move deals through? And are you aware that sometimes, you know, when you deal with us, it's different because we're a toy startup. We're not just a, a property creator. But maybe you're dealing with companies and people and idea who have a short shelf life before they've got to drop what they're doing and, you know, going back to their, their job. It wasn't the case for us, thank God. But um, how sensitive are you to working with the timings of, you know, small creators that wanna that cannot move at the pace and the, the slowness of a of a big corporate giant. How nimble are you when you make deals and, and talk to small creators? That's a good question. I, I would say that we are very agile. Um, you know, I've only been there eight weeks myself, and don't forget, Bino Studios is a new entity, and um, certainly we've moved things on rapidly in the time I've been there. Um, so I, I would say yes. We, Bino Studios itself is not a massive corporate entity I would say um, it really it really can vary because um, sometimes the complexity or the the sort of slowness of um, at least Mattel's moving a, a an agreement through the process often has to do with the creator so you know an offer is made and then there's a lot of back and forth in terms of you know fine deal points that can really really delay things um, we also are very sensitive to the fact that whether we're dealing with an individual or another corporation, we've, we've done deals in record time. Um, and while we're an enormous corporation, there are generally three people who touch the deal. So it can be you know, as quick as a phone call. You can go through and come to agreement on things. It may, not, it may take a little longer to get it papered, but in terms of actually making a deal, it can be in record time. There's also deals that I've been employed by Mattel or HIT for now three and a half years, and they still haven't closed. So it really runs the gamut in terms of you know the participation on both parts. Yeah. It, it depends what the brand. I mean, you know, it depends what the brand is like. We or, or your idea because we're addressing it, but we traditionally haven't been quick. You know, it's like the old tanker moving slowly, turning a tanker. Um, but to that end, you know, like for example, your business, we have like an innovation lab. Very cool name, isn't it? Uh, so we have an innovation lab, and, and that's where you'd go first. We have like touch points, which is us as to, in terms of development and story and you know the long tail of the show the entertainment and play part of the company we have an innovation lab and those are all really fast track now we're actually getting to a point where if we see something we like it we can push it up to really senior management pretty quickly so we're getting much better at doing it but we totally are sensitive to the fact that we seem like a massive corporation very matrixed organization but we're we're it, de it depends what it is and it depends what the zeitgeist is you know and exactly. how quickly you have to move. Yeah, on. I mean, we saw something last year, and there was like a white space in a certain genre that the Hasbro brand teams are really into, and we got something to do, a deal done in like six weeks, and we're doing it. So it's just it's just horses for courses, and you know. Okay. Well, great. Um, I'd like to thank all of our panelists today. Uh, thanks very much, Shannon. <laughs>